Today's episode of Grad School Confessional is brought to you by the letter T. T stands for tired, troubled, teary-eyed, tormented, and ticked off. And all of these T words are brought to you by the word thesis. You're listening to Grad School Confessional, a podcast that explores the good, bad, and ugly of graduate school directly from graduate students themselves. I'm your host, Dr. Yoasway. From awkward supervisor interactions to reviewer two horror stories to convincing your parents why grad school was a good idea, we read out the confessions of graduate students from all over and chat about the realities of pursuing higher education. I'd like to welcome back my co-host and fellow thesis sufferer, Anna. Anna is a PhD candidate studying digital health, a field where researchers ask, do doctors type as illegibly as they write? That's a trick question. Doctors don't type. They have nurses do it for them. Mm, It's like they say, behind every good doctor is a tired, underpaid, and overworked nurse. And speaking of tired, underpaid, and overworked, today's episode is all about the source of all these feelings for most graduate students. The thesis. Bum, bum, bum. So for our listeners at home who may be unfamiliar, what is a thesis and why do we do it? I don't know why. I think it's because... (laughs) Okay, but let's start with what it is. So a thesis is a culmination of your doctoral program, and it takes on many forms. So for some people, they're expected to uh, run three studies and then write them up, and that's their thesis. For other people, they're expected to do three studies, publish two of them, write one of them up, and that's a thesis. And for other people, you do one big study and then you write a book. And that's what I'm doing. (laughs) A book. I remember my own thesis was three studies and then put into, you know, this massive document. And then you just kind of present it. You, quote unquote, defend it. And uh, in front of a committee of your, I suppose, peers at that point, I guess they're really just more experts in your field, right? They're not your peers until you successfully. I guess so. Yeah, that's fair. Um, But you present it in front of them and then they're like, that sounds legit. And they pass you or they're like, nah, and they fail you, which doesn't happen often. But there definitely are horror stories where people fail their thesis defense. Yeah. And I feel it varies a lot by uh, faculty because I've definitely read some uh, stories about thesis defenses from STEM fields where it genuinely feels like a defense, where they're Mm -hmm. looking at your methodology and they're trying to poke holes in it. And then I feel in health studies, our defenses are like a light conversation over some coffee. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's like a break in between where you just get to chit chat. Um, I remember reading this thing on Twitter. Someone had put like the best thesis defense is a good thesis offense. So print off all the dissertations of your committee members and spend the first 30 minutes just like poking holes in each of their thesis <laughs> dissertations. It's great. I want to do that. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Do you feel like, because the thesis is pretty different from sort of the side projects that I know at least I did in my undergrad <laughs> graduate degree. Do you feel like you conceptualize your thesis project as being different than the other projects that you've done? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I don't think everyone can relate, but because my thesis is taking f- this really, really long form, it's completely different from how I would write a paper, right? A paper mm-hmm. would have a very narrow scope and it would cover, 
you know, one aspect of my findings and I would write it up in 20 pages and then I would submit it and get it rejected. <laughs> Promptly rejected. Promptly rejected. And my thesis has to have these big overarching themes and yeah. it has to have chapters and it has to cover all my dissertation yeah. findings. And I also have to send it to like four people and then talk to them about it. Yeah. Um, which doesn't happen for papers. Imagine if you had to do that for papers. Like after you submitted, the editor calls you and they're like, hey, I'd like to chat about this. And you're <laughs> oh, like, no. Uh, I'm just... the fourth author though. <laughs> Why would you do this? Yeah. Um, I totally feel that too. Like my thesis project, they were, they felt like projects, like other, you know, trials mm -hmm. and projects that I had run, but the actual writing of it felt very different because you know, I did, I didn't do a monograph, which is where you kind of just have these like. I was going to say like, should we explain the, the two forms that a thesis usually Sure. Take? So I did an integrated manuscript or integrated thesis, I guess, which is a newer form where you kind of get a hybrid of like what, how writing an actual paper would look and then how a monograph is, the traditional style. So I got to write my three studies up as three separate papers, each with their own intro methods, results, discussion, et cetera. And then they got sandwiched in between a bigger intro and a larger discussion. Mm -hmm. But those chapters themselves were actually quite small in comparison to what probably what would happen in a traditional monograph, which you can explain. Uh, in a traditional monograph, every single thing that you can think of becomes a chapter. And so, for example, I have a literature review chapter, which is going to be 20 pages long. And I have a theory chapter, which just looks at what theoretical framework I used, which is 20 pages long. <laughs> and so a monograph tends to be a lot longer. And I honestly don't know why people still do it. Yeah, it's kind of strange to me, too, considering that we don't really use it for like anything. You know, like you, you write it, obviously, mm -hmm. and then it goes into some kind of repository, you would assume. But then you don't publish it in that form anyway. Yeah. And, and so, I mean... Let me rephrase that. I don't really get why we do it in the health sciences where we still predominantly publish papers instead mm -hmm. of books. In the humanities where they do publish books, what a lot of sociologists will do is take their thesis and potentially, you know, include like a fun preamble to it. As fun a as that can be. Fun and they preamble. Yeah. And so and they turn it into a book. And that ends up getting published. And in that sense, it makes sense to do monograph because, you know, that's exactly how a book would function. You would have right. chapters. Right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, I guess it's just, it comes down to really what the utility of it is kind of afterwards mm -hmm. in your discipline. And, you know, I think this, at least in my experience at, at the university that, you know, we were at, the transition to more integrated stuff makes sense to me because that's just, you get something out of it at least, right? Or you can very quickly kind of turn those your your thesis your dissertation into actual papers that you can publish which i also feel like is a bit of false advertising because you still end up doing oh, yeah, so, so much, much rewriting yeah. to actually submit it to a journal definitely definitely yeah. but format aside how have you been finding your thesis writing process because i know that you're in it right now ah! <laughs> yeah i know um i disagree when people say that your thesis is the hardest thing that you will do during your doctorate 
I found comps a lot harder. Yeah. Um, because comps is like the first big thing you will do in your PhD and okay. you don't do it in your master's. And so uh -huh. it's a brand new thing. Uh, versus for me, I remember writing my master's thesis. And so a lot of kind of the growing pains of a thesis that I'm going through, like rewriting stuff and going back and, you know, polishing, 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 having multiple drafts. I've gone through that before. And so I'm a little calmer and I know how long mm -hmm. it's going to take me and how many tries it's going to take me. And it's easier in that sense. But if mm -hmm. you haven't done a master's thesis, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, because like I definitely some people fast track, right? Or the option is there for some people to go directly from their master's without having to defend it to their PhD. Yeah. Or in some rare cases, like I know some universities offer an undergrad to PhD program. And at that point, I'd like, I think that doing a dissertation, writing a dissertation would be quite a monumental task. Yeah, because you haven't like especially undergrad to PhD, uh, maybe it's different in STEM, but if I went from my undergrad to my PhD, never having written a real, real paper, yeah. having to then write a thesis would be ink. It's, it's enormous. Like, I, I don't know how long your dissertation is looking to be, but mine is mine was like definitely over 200 pages. And I've never written anything that long before. Yeah. And then... Um, how long did it take you to write your 200 pages? <laughs> I'm pretty sure because of COVID, I had to accelerate everything. And it was like, I did it all in maybe three months. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty rushed. There's a, there's a lot of internal screaming happening. <laughs> you have time. I have, I have limited time. But I feel like you're more prepared than I was. Like literally COVID was just like fresh off the boat for us <laughs> when I was doing my PhD <laughs> dissertation, you know? And, uh. Yeah, it definitely, like one of the projects that was going to be part of my dissertation was just, we had to drop entirely, yeah. right? And so I had to like really scramble to figure out how I was going to make things work. Luckily, I had a pro, like a, a project on the side I was working on that made it work. But yeah, I don't know. I think for me, the whole thesis, everything involving the thesis always just feels like tinted slightly differently than any of the projects that you like, quote unquote, want to run or like yeah. have on the side. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of the stories today are going to like resonate with a lot of what you and I have experienced. Our first story comes from a grad student who vents about how their planned thesis project got changed around more than a few times. They write, While entering my PhD, I had a set plan with my supervisor for the general idea of each of my studies. Before the pandemic began, I had my first study fully mapped out and ready to start. We plan to start at the end of March 2020. The pandemic set in just before then, and I was unable to enter the lab for four months. I ended up writing an initial draft of my literature search and published a review article to compensate for the time. During this time, my supervisor was awarded a new grant, and I once again had to shift my program plans and start from scratch. At the time, it felt like I was falling so far behind. I had to redesign an entirely new study that I didn't start until this past January, quickly approaching the midway of my program, I simultaneously rewrote my entire literature review to accommodate for the new program I found myself in and slogged through virtual comprehensive exams. I've come to learn that life never goes the way you anticipate and you have to constantly adapt. It's been a major struggle, but in the end, I think it will make me stronger in navigating seemingly impossible situations. Oof. Yeah, oof indeed. I can definitely relate to having to switch projects after you've kind of like planned things out. 
like I, uh, in my master's, I was going to do, you know, smoking cessation research. I spent the first like term kind of like reading literature, trying to get to know stuff. And then, you know, in the second term after taking a sedentary behavior class, I was like, oh man, this seems way more interesting than trying to get <laughs> smokers. <laughs> I don't even like smokers. I don't even like smokers. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. My master's was, <laughs> my master's was a dumpster fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think one of the reasons why I've come out relatively unscathed from my doctoral research is because I came in with a very specific idea of what I wanted to do. I knew the methodology I was going to use. I knew exactly the demographic of participants I would be recruiting. I knew where I would be recruiting them from. Uh, and so I kind of had like a head start. So before I even started my doctoral program, my supervisor had me write up a proposal outlining mm -hmm. kind of generally what I wanted to do. And like we tweaked it a little bit for mm -hmm. sure, but it largely stayed intact. That being said, I never want to do this methodology again. <laughs> Turns out when you're incredibly introverted, um, talking to people for an hour straight is like not a good methodology for you. This podcast must be killing you. <laughs> oh, my God. but at least I'm, I'm just looking at you. Yeah. Like every day, every all other day. day and all night too. just. Hmm. Staring. No, that's just you staring at me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think the pandemic, like this is not the first story I've heard about the pandemic throwing like projects off kilter. Yeah. I always remember at the beginning of the pandemic, March 19th, 2019. <laughs> we always go back to that date because that's when. Wait, 2020. 2020? Yeah. We always remember that date. It's the year wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 2020. But that was uh, that was the day that our university actually shut its doors yeah. and was like, we're in pandemic mode. But I remember two weeks after there were news coming out with University of Toronto basically having their graduate students call their animals because they were not allowed to go back to lab. And I was just like crying on their behalf because... Some of those people were probably like one study replication away from putting their dissertation together. And yeah, yeah. Just having to do. All, just, oh, no. Like just having to basically murder your doctoral research oh, no. with your own hands. Sad. <laughs> it's dark on so many different levels. It really is. Yeah. Mm. I, like for me, it was just like, oh, we can't have people come into the lab. I can't put like a tracker on their leg anymore. <laughs> Eh, well, you know. But you also couldn't collect the trackers. That yeah, was the problem. Yeah, I'd have people mail it back. And some people were better at figuring out mail than others. And yeah, definitely. Like it, it's, I mean, only now, you know, two years after, almost two years after that day, do I, like I'm still running that study or I guess someone in the lab is still running that study. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's crazy. Like it's taken that long. And that was a funded project. Like we had uh, a time frame in which we had to finish it and yeah. You know, obviously we couldn't. Yeah, I, I can't imagine starting your doctoral program during a pandemic. And for a lot of people, they have started and done half of it in a pandemic. Yeah. And like, imagine having to do comps virtually. I can't. Like, I I had, you know, I can imagine the the written part wouldn't be so bad. Like, it wouldn't be so different, right? Um, but the the defense part of it? Like I did a virtual defense for my doctoral stuff and that was fine, but that was also a study that I did and a study that I knew. And then you're just like trying to go into this now, your candidacy or your comprehensive exams. 
and you're trying to talk about this research that's you know not yours, mm-hmm. but you're supposed to know, to three people who are just like staring at you and you're through your screen and being like, you know, like just looking at you confused. That I would mean, be intimidating. Yeah, people. That's what I've noticed about Zoom. People tend to emote out loud. Yeah, because they like it's hard to without the eye contact. It's really hard to imagine people are looking at you, right? And yeah. I find I just like I just wear my heart on my face. I'm just like, what the heck? I no, I have these conversations with my committee all the time because they'll emote out loud, and I'd be like, what did I say? <laughs> They're like, no, we're just thinking. I'm like, that is some angry thinking you're doing there. <laughs> And then everyone's on mute too. And so it's like, you know, like, are they, are they like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like people aren't breathing. Like they're just holding their breath, watching you and just being like, wait. <laughs> they're not lizard people. I'm sure they're breathing. <laughs> you, you know that lizards breathe, right? They have lungs. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days. <laughs> it's all right. She's a qualitative researcher. Our next confession is from a former grad student, (laughs) she's going to kill me, that describes the time of getting ethics approval for their project nearly sapped all their will to live. They write, Few events in my life have been as frustrating as the time I had to get ethics approval for my master's thesis project. My supervisor and I decided to model my project around a psychological intervention-based dissertation he supervised many years prior. Unfortunately, times had changed since that last project, and I was told by my school's ethics board in no uncertain terms, that my proposed idea had countless fundamental flaws, serious ethical implications, and plenty of other ethical mumbo-jumbo that neither of us had even considered. Well, great. Barely a semester into my program, and I felt like I'd already hit rock bottom. While I was expecting grad school to have its challenges, I didn't foresee having my ideas thrown against a wall and smashed into pieces right off the bat. I felt down for a time, but slowly and surely, my supervisor and I reworked our initial idea and eventually came to a new, even more feasible plan for my thesis. Four months of revisions later, and my ethics application finally caught the green light. The project itself came with its fair share of road bumps, but I felt better prepared to handle them because of the hurdle I had to overcome from before. My supervisor was always there to support me, but he was always careful to make sure I did the heavy work when it was necessary. Great supervisors are like that. They provide just enough guidance to help you stay on track, but you remain in the driver's seat throughout. A year and a half later, and when you know it, I did end up graduating, just as my supervisor had promised. I guess what I'm saying is, grad school will not go exactly how you expect it to, but that's how it's supposed to be. The constructive criticisms of ethics boards and supervisors and reviewers are all part of the process, a process that is worth trusting. I remember the first time I did ethics, it like took me five months, although if I'm being completely honest, it's because... um. The initial application part of that took me five months. <laughs> I was just like <laughs> procrastinating the whole time. So it wasn't ethics. It was the ethics application. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually don't mind doing ethics. Why is that? I don't What's know. What's wrong with you? Huh? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> no, um, I don't. And I think this is one of those like useful tidbits. Uh, your ethics officer is open for consultation and so you can actually email your ethics officer and ask them specifics about your application and ask them specifically how to fix it that's their job um so if you're putting in ethics find out who is handling that application because that's exactly what i've started doing and it's honestly saved me like two rounds of revisions per application Mm -hmm. usually my ethics 
either goes on the first or the second go. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely. I think it's going to be brutal for sure. I know I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but like I had a person in the lab who knew someone who's on the ethics board, who knew someone who was handling our ethics and kind of through the grapevine, it was like any ethics form that comes from our lab was just flagged down because, you know, it was almost assured that our supervisor hadn't actually read it over. And was just like the email for the signature comes in. They're like, yeah, that looks fine. Sign it (laughs) and sends it off. Which is kind of funny because your lab didn't do any like super sensitive research. Yeah, no, no. We just tried to uh, manipulate people. It was fine. (laughs) But you're manipulating them for their own good. (laughs) Ethics can surely understand that. (laughs) Guys, we're trying to make you healthier, okay? Come on. (laughs) Go with the program. If you were healthy in the first place, we wouldn't be here. (laughs) My department would cease to exist. Exactly. Um, But yeah, I think... You know, broader than ethics, one of the universal experiences of grad school is just like nothing going the way you want it to or expect it to, at least. Yeah, we had this conversation like yesterday where I was asking you if we could, uh, instead of acknowledgments, um, there should be a section in your dissertation where you're like, in spite of this, <laughs> like, thanks for nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a, there, there's a few institutions that I would <laughs> like to list. Thanks for nothing. Thanks for helping me with my recruitment by ignoring my email for three months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have acknowledgments and then you have like no thanks to <laughs> just a list. <laughs> it's like the opposite of a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> who would be on your no thanks list? Hmm, who would be on no thanks list? Every participant who canceled on me but didn't tell me until after their assigned time was like supposed to come in. Yeah. It's just like you're waiting in lab and you're, you've booked off the next hour of your day just for this person to come in. And then 15 minutes later you send them an email and you're like, Hey, he's still coming in. And they're like, actually, no. And you're like, okay, (laughs) I guess it's just, what is my time? I'm just chopped liver. It makes you so sad. I I was going to pay you money. (laughs) Well, I wasn't, but. Oh. I mean, I, I guess I have to. I was just, you know, it's it's just tough, right? Because like people will do maybe one or two visits and then, you know, they're, they're very clearly not like that interested in a study or anything. And then like on the second visit, they'll just be like, I actually want to drop out. And you're like, yeah, okay, sure. And then they'll be like, can I have my gift card now? And you're like, yeah. Why do you have to go and make this transactional? I thought we had something special. <laughs> I thought we had something special. You signed a form. <laughs> You were, you gave me your phone number. <laughs> I legally can't call you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Our last story is written by a PhD graduate who recalls the stressful time they had writing up their master's thesis and how the feedback they received definitely wasn't helping. They write, My master's thesis had 187 pages that I wrote in two weeks. Two weeks because my data collection was running late. I was having lots of difficulty finding participants, and as soon as I got the bare minimum data to run the analysis, I rushed into it. I was working full time and using the evenings to write the final draft. It was a nightmare, but as lots of grad students already notice, we can do miracles when we are under pressure. I gave the draft to my supervisor, and about a week afterwards, which was six weeks prior to my defense, he asked for a meeting to give me feedback. I asked two friends, PhD candidates with the same supervisor, to go with me for support. My supervisor told me, overall, the document looks good, but 
Rewrite the discussion. Rewrite the discussion? What parts of it? The discussion has 14 pages. All of it, again. I don't like it, he said. I wanted to cry. That was my masterpiece. I had put lots of work into those 14 pages, and the feedback I got was, rewrite it. And I did, in less than a week. Blind, because I had no clue what he wanted. After reading the second version, he told me he still didn't like it, but we should go for the defense the way it was, because we were running out of time. I defended and passed with honors. I was invited on the same day to start a PhD right away in another department because they were impressed with my achievements. Even 11 years after that episode, I still think back to the rewrite it feedback. What type of constructive feedback is that? How would a supervisor support a grad student with feedback like this one? 11 years later, I read those 14 pages of my discussion section and I think it's an amazing masterpiece that I created. And today, the most important part of my current full-time job is to provide feedback to faculty and grad students. And I'll never say, rewrite it. That's a cool bit of like karmic justice in a way, you know? Yeah. I'm glad that this person looks back on their master's discussion section like fondly because I'll be honest, <laughs> I accidentally, I was looking for something else unrelated, but I came across my master's thesis and I read like a paragraph of, of it and I was like, wow, this is a fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> it is ugly. Man. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm legitimately impressed that this person went back to their like master's work and like, or in writing specifically, read it and was like, yeah, this is still a masterpiece. Like, I can't bring myself to read anything I've written that back then. I just, no. it would, I don't know. It, I think it makes me wonder too, because supervisors obviously have, you know, master students and PhD students, or whatever, and they read their writing and eventually it they get sent off and it gets published. And it just makes me think like, what is the minimum threshold that supervisors are just willing to look at something and be like, yeah, it's good enough. You know, like I can't influence the writing much more than this. You know, because mm-hmm. you still want to preserve the person's authorship. Um, and it's probably good enough, you know? Yeah. I, I think it varies greatly with the supervisor. How's it with your current supervisor? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, they're great. They're, they've made my writing tremendously better, but I've never gotten a, this is good, let's send it in. Yeah, I've gotten, well, we'll send it in. Maybe it'll go somewhere. <laughs> oh no! I remember from my comps, we were submitting the my my papers for the committee to read over. Yeah, and it was like, well, there's nothing more you can do. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't think it's that terrible. bad. I don't yeah. think it's pretty, but it's not that bad. Yeah, and I think it like it also raises a good point just about feedback. Yeah, right. Like even if you don't think something is great, I feel like it's. If your name is going to be on it and you're obviously the person who's supposed to be training this other person, there's kind of this responsibility for you to like be more specific with how it can be made better or at least tell you what's wrong with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was also in a master's program where the rewrited feedback was provided. Uh, Mine was often provided as a highlighted paragraph and the only comment was a question mark. You didn't even get words. You got a symbol. I got a, I, got, I mean, at least it wasn't an emoji. Um, what did the emoji be? It's like throwing up emoji. 
That's how I feel about my writing. Sad devil emojis. Sad devil emojis. Skeleton emoji. There's so many great ones. (laughs) Fried shrimp. (laughs) Um, And so I'm really grateful because my supervisor now is very specific. My supervisor now is very specific with their feedback. And I think it makes a world of a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I think, too, it's not just their feedback that helps you sort of see the issues with your own writing, quote unquote issues, right? Or how to change it and make it stronger. But I think, you know, by comparison, it also helps you find your writing voice and like what, you know, all these are the things to be included. How would I write this now? Yeah. And I also think between like your first year PhD and your fourth year PhD, you go through a transition where like, I'm going to include all of this because my supervisor knows better. And then you get to your fourth year and you're writing your thesis And sometimes you write sentences and you're like, this is staying in the final version. Mm -hmm. I will die by this. It has to be said this way. I will die by this word. (laughs) And I think it also actually raises a really interesting point that I don't think a lot of people really do, which is get other people to read your thesis. Like, I know we have a running joke where it's like, ain't nobody want to read your thesis. Nobody wants to read your thesis. Because let's be real, like a maximum of five people are going to read it anyway. But I think getting feedback on your writing or even sections of your writing Like, I remember reading your thesis, some sections of it, and, you know, I don't obviously know the theory nearly as well as you do, but I can definitely comment on, like, does this sound appropriate? Is there, like, flow between these ideas? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I I didn't have the time, I think, during my PhD to get other people to read it. So, you know, three and a half months is not a long time to write a dissertation, but I wish I had the time, you know, and if I had people who could have read parts of my, what I'd written, I think it would have been really valuable. Yeah. Even other doctoral students. Yeah, definitely. Definitely other doctoral students, right? Because like at the end of the day, the people who you are on your defense committee are reading your dissertation, the whole thing for the first time. And honestly, probably reading it the night before. So like basically they might as well be as good as a doctoral candidate who has like the time to go through it. You know what I mean? Yeah, at that point, they've had like, what, one or two glasses of wine. They're in their pajamas. They- Stream oh. of consciousness comments. Yeah. They're not they're not reading your dissertation. They're going to the discussion. <laughs> and they're reading the discussion so they can ask you questions. And that's it. It's <laughs> yeah. all they're doing. That's yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The thesis is an essential part of graduate school. The culmination of training, the research expertise, the skills acquired. The thesis can be a daunting task, made all the more difficult with unexpected roadblocks to projects and poor feedback. But being adaptable having a supportive supervisor, and putting in the time will all help to see you over the finish line, degree in hand. You've been listening to Grad School Confessional. I'm Dr. Yoasway. Thanks again to my co-host, Anna. Anna, what are three words you would use to describe your thesis experience thus far? Fascinating. I see the nuance in your answer. Uh, I would have described mine as more stressful, pandemic, and then stressful again, but like this time when a mask. Mm. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or iTunes so that others can benefit from our mediocre advice. Please also share us with your social network, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Twitter at GSConfessional. And if you have a confession you'd like to make, please use the anonymous link in the description or email thegradschoolconfessional at gmail.com. We're waiting for your funny, interesting, or controversial confessions. Until next time, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Principal Investigator, Amen.